This is Bloomberg Law with June Grosso from Bloomberg Radio. The impeachment trial of President Trump is scheduled to begin with opening statements on Tuesday. And today, President Trump named three lawyers that he's adding to the legal team that will represent him at the impeachment. Harvard Law Professor Emeritus Alan Dershowitz and former Whitewater prosecutors Ken Starr and Robert Ray will join the team led by White House counsel Pat Cipollone and Jay Sekulow, Trump's personal attorney. Joining me is Brad Moss, a partner at Mark Zaid. So, Brad, what do you make of the new additions? So this is basically like a 1990s redux, you know, what we've got here. You know, Alan Dershowitz, certainly, you know, long history of legal scholarship and everything. He's on OJ's defense team, well-known in the constitutional field for his analysis. But he had kind of fallen into obscurity for a while until he came back as this big cable news defender of Donald Trump. And then you've got... Ken Starr, the infamous Ken Starr, who, you know, led the Bill Clinton impeachment move in the 90s, tried to get Clinton impeached over the perjury and suborning perjury allegations, and then was run out of Baylor University for allegedly botching responses to sexual assault incidents. So it almost feels like it's a past their prime legal team that was once really good, or at least really competent, and are now there because the president likes how they coordinate and how they communicate on TV, even though it doesn't necessarily have any relation to how they would handle arguments in the Senate trial. Here you're going to have Ken Starr, who during the Bill Clinton impeachment certainly called upon the president to comply with subpoenas and turn over documents, now defending the president who has not turned over any documents. Will that in any way come back to bite him? I'm sure there will be some level of hypocrisy pointed out there, Um, though I think the response that someone like Ken Starr would have to that is that he still afforded Bill Clinton the opportunity to litigate a lot of those things in court. Uh, You know, the Kennedy Starr report took several years to compile and years of litigation over a lot of these privilege claims. And that never happened here. Um, A lot of the uh, disagreements over whether or not to turn over documents or let witnesses testify never got to court because the House of Representatives decided not to wait, that they couldn't spend three years litigating whether or not they could compel testimony uh, when the election's coming up in November in the alleged uh, impeachable conduct by the president concerns his his efforts to interfere in this upcoming election. So, Brad, does it look, though, as if the Democrats are getting closer and closer to having witnesses at the impeachment trial? I think it's more likely than not there will be some witnesses. We've certainly seen some cracks in the uh, in the Great Red Wall in the Senate. GOP caucus in terms of their, you know, amenability to witnesses, whether it's Susan Collins or Mitt Romney or a number of individuals. I think there's some interest in it. And part of that has to do with, you know, the gamble that House Speaker Pelosi made in waiting until after the holiday recess to take the extra steps to actually transmit the articles to the Senate. She gambled and was proven right that with a little bit of additional time, more information would come out that would put pressure on these senators, senators who don't necessarily particularly like the president, certainly don't like his style or his method of communicating, but are in the end still loyal Republicans. And the things that happened was, you know, there was a lot of information that came out of state through some of this FOIA litigation being brought. And there was a lot of details provided um, through documents released by Lev Parnas 
who used to be part of the president's inner circle in terms of his legal team and who had a lot of damaging text messages. And that's going to make it politically difficult for some of these senators to allow for just a uh, short trial that doesn't allow for additional information or witnesses. So tell us more about the information that Les Parnas has and what he's been saying in some high-profile television interviews. Parnas, and to be very clear, no one should take much of anything Lev Parnas says without massive heaping grains of salt unless he's got actual verification, you know, corroboration, verify, unless he's got receipts that prove what he's saying. Because the way Lev Parnas talks, and you can hear it in the interviews he had with Rachel Maddow and Anderson Cooper, is he's very Trumpian in his way of communicating. He does a lot of exaggerations, a lot of uh, mischaracterizations, and so you can't necessarily believe a lot of what he is saying. But what he has provided in terms of the receipts is how much this was being run through Rudy Giuliani, how Rudy was sending letters to the president-elect of Ukraine, outlining how he was acting on behalf of Donald Trump, something that you know the, the White House has tried to claim that this was sort of Rudy going rogue and not actually being connected to the president. Well, at least from the appearances of what was in writing, it's here as Rudy very much had the approval of the president. And then you also got some more details about, you know, some of this alleged stalking of the U.S. ambassador in Ukraine, Ivanovich. We don't know for sure if this was just bloviating or actual real stalking, but it sounded like they were tracking her. They knew where she was going and how much security they had. This looks like a thuggish, you know, mob operation, the way this was done. And as more information comes out, it's going to paint these individuals in a worse light. Do you think that when they decide what evidence to allow in, that the recent government report on the aid to Ukraine being held up, being illegal, will that come in? I mean, that report will certainly be included in the ultimate evidence, though I don't think that report from the GAO is going to sway anybody one way or the other. Everybody has a reason to always dispute the GAO's findings when it suits their purposes. The GAO claimed that the Obama administration had broken the law at different times when it came to the swap for Bo Bergdahl with the Taliban or when it came to parts of the Obamacare exchanges, there's always something the GAO will find that any White House, Republican or Democrat, will dispute. But it kind of supplements the existing record. And so what is going to be critically important is who the additional witnesses are, if any, particularly if it's Mike Pompeo, if it's John Bolton, and if it's Rick Perry, all of whom, as far as we understand, have critical firsthand knowledge of what was going on with this quote-unquote drug deal, as John Bolton called it, but who have not yet provided any testimony. President Trump has already said that if Bolton testifies, there are going to be questions of executive privilege. So what happens then? So this is somewhat unprecedented here because we didn't have this in the Clinton trial, and obviously Nixon never got this far. But the way it would work, uh, at least under my understanding of the parliamentary procedure, is the initial motion to squash or to exclude some of the testimony would go before Chief Justice Roberts, who is presiding over the trial. He could issue a ruling one way or the other, but that ruling can be overturned by a majority of the senators. So if, for example, Chief Justice Roberts concluded that privilege did not apply and ordered Bolton to still testify about this information, a majority of the senators could overrule him and determine that they were going to exclude that anyways. And that kind of determination, at least as far as I am aware, cannot be otherwise subject to judicial review or anything else. That's final. Thanks, Brad. That's Brad Moss, a partner at Mark Zay. Thanks for listening to the Bloomberg Law Podcast. 
You can subscribe and listen to the show on Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, and on Bloomberg.com slash podcasts. I'm June Grosso. This is Bloomberg. Bloomberg.